Uh, open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 5. Malachi chapter 2, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong number on my page there. Malachi chapter 2. Well, a week ago Sunday, we had uh, two special guests with us, uh, Kazia McNeil and, and Steve Herzig. Kazia sang and, and Steve preached. And they were here because just a few days before that, we hosted a conference for our church association in the Northwest. And this letter came from uh, one of our pastors uh, to uh, say thank you for our work. Dear Pastor Dave Lunsford and members of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, greetings from beautiful Shoreline, Washington. On behalf of those who attended the NARBC conference, both pastors and laymen, I want to say thank you for your amazing hospitality. We were treated like kings and queens. The registration process before the conference was done in a timely and clear way with information given out in plenty of time to respond. The brochure was done well and gave good information. Our welcome to the parking lot even had greeters and umbrella holders. The buildings and grounds were clean and well prepared for our visit. We wish we could have taken a ride on your new elevator, don't we all? <laughs> But that will have to wait until the next time we come to your church. The food and snacks were bountiful. I even heard someone say during the final meal on Saturday, no more food. <laughs> that was a pastor's wife who had eaten too much of the great spread you all prepared for us. Everyone seemed to have a fun time cooking it and serving it to us. The meetings were delightful with Steve, Bruce, Kazia, along with other seminar speakers. Now you need to take a break, uh, relax, rest. We realize you've served the Lord from a servant's heart. You will be rewarded in his time. Thank you for your work on behalf of the NARBC in Christ, Tom Ruhlman, for the Council of 15. That's our organizing board. Don't you love it when you get an A-plus on your report card? Yeah, I do. Uh, well, I, I love to I love to serve people, and I love for them to appreciate it. I love to be recognized for that. That's a wonderful thing. As we come to Malachi chapter two, we're going to see some people get an A on their report card, and we're going to see some people get an F on their report card. And then, of course, we have a choice to figure out whether we want to get an A or an F on our personal report cards. Follow as I read Malachi two, starting in verse one. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me, and he was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many from iniquity." For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible 
and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways but have shown partiality in the law. We looked at verses 1 through 4 a couple of weeks ago and we're going to look at verses 5 through uh, 9 today. And the one key thing you need to understand from verses 1 through 4 if you have forgotten is this. God is here reviewing the work of the priests. And the priests were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And their work, as we are seeing there in that passage, is failing. There were some priests who got an A. These priests are getting an F in their review. The key thing that we, one of the key things we learned last time that you need to remember as we study these leaders today is this. We are all leaders of some people. We are not priests in the formal sense. Today we might think of a pastor who has a paid position at a church and we would think, well, the priest and the pastor are kind of an equivalence. And in terms of spiritual leadership, you'd be right. But God in the New Testament calls all of us believers as a royal priesthood. He calls all of us to be worshiping Him. And He calls all of us to be influencing people in a godly way. If you are a parent, you influence the people, the children in your life every day, whether you are trying to or not. If you are a teacher of a Sunday school class, if you are a leader at work, if you are just a Christian with no designated authority at work, but people know you are a Christian, you are leading those people. And so as we come to consider the evaluation of leadership in verse 5, we need to remember that we are the people that he is preaching to about our leadership of people around us. And he starts with an example of righteous leadership in verse 5. He says, my covenant or agreement, and I'm going to paraphrase it this way, I made an agreement years ago with him, with Levi. That Levi is named right in the verse before that, in verse 4. Who was Levi? Levi was the patriarch or the head of a tribe of Israel. The tribe of Levi, we would think of, we would use this word more often in the Old Testament. We would call them the Levites. Okay? The tribe of Levi came to be those who were designated to be priests. They had certain responsibilities. They had certain uh, relationships to people. They, they could not own their own land, and so they lived from the tithe that other people gave. They served the, temp, the tabernacle and then the temple uh, in courses uh, as God uh, laid it out for them. They maintained the worship. They, they taught the law. They, they were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And Levi was the first one, if you will. So God is not talking about just one man. He's using one man's name to, to summarize the tribe and the whole group of priests. And in fact, part of this covenant he talks about, we're not going to take time to look there, but in Numbers 25, there was an episode in the days of Israel in which they sinned greatly. Remember, Moses went up to get the law, and when he came back down, they were worshiping an idol they had made. He was obviously up there a while because they had time to melt down gold and make an idol and plan a, an idol worship service. And that involved sexual immorality. And they were carrying on in what we might think of today as a big orgy and a big feast to worship this idol. And when Moses came down, he was hot and God was hot. 
And God drew a line in the sand and said, Who is with me? Who will raise up and execute judgment on these people for me? And you know who it was? It was the tribe of Levi. In particular, a guy named Phineas, who was the grandson of Aaron, if I have my descendants correct. He rose up and they executed judgment on the people of Israel who led in the worship of this idol. And God said, because you stepped up to the plate and followed me in this hard thing, I am going to make a covenant of blessing with you. And so he tells us here, I made a covenant with him, one of life and peace. The, the occurrence of this covenant was, was the event where, where the descendants of Levi had to uh, side with God against the majority. And because of that, God said, I'm going to bless you. And he, he, he calls the specifics of this covenant life and peace. Life and peace are always spoken of by God as spiritual blessings, not natural occurrences. And I think we could probably summarize this blessing that God pronounced on them this way. I'm going to take care of you. Just very simply, I'm going to take care of you. It's very similar to the blessings that we hear about in the New Testament. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's the all these things? It's what He's just been talking about in the passage, which is food and clothing and shelter and so on. He says, if you follow Me, if you really prioritize Me in your life, I'll take care of you. And that's what He told to the tribe of Levi. At a very hard point, they stepped up and believed God and followed God. He said, I will take care of you. Jesus said in the New Testament, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give us a spiritual quality of life. And, and it, I think that's a, a New Testament way to say what God was saying to these Levites in the Old Testament. I am going to give you life, spiritual life. And so Levi accepted God's offer. Look look here. My covenant was with him. God said, I came down and said, who's going to follow me? And I gave these this covenant to him that he might fear me, so he feared me. And it's not even enough God strengthens it when he tells it to us. He feared me, and he was reverent before my name. Levi accepted God's offer. God came down and said, who's with me? And Levi said, we're with you. That is the essence of fearing God. Sometimes we see the phrase fear God, in the, especially in the Old Testament, it's used a lot. And we think, oh, I, I don't want to be afraid of God. That's not what God is telling us in so many words. He's more so saying, do you believe that I am God enough to obey me when I give you an instruction. See, if we ask the question, why should we fear God? I, I, I gave a list of four reasons here. And the first one is this. We should fear God because God is the final judge. God's the final judge. It's an old song, it's a, it's a new song 25 years ago. Well, it won't be old Buddha sitting on the throne and it won't be Hare Krishna calling us home and it just simply states you know what when we get there God's going to be looking us in the eye and that's the number one reason why you ought to fear God 
Jesus said this, Do not fear him who can only kill your body, but fear him who can kill body and soul in hell. Ultimately, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You should believe in God. In many ways, the word believe is a synonym for fear. If you really take God at his word, you will believe in what he has told you. He is the creator. He is the final judge. And so we should fear him. I sat with some people yesterday from Canada who are struggling in their life. And one of them said the words that are the scariest words I ever hear from people. This person said, well, I just don't care then. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me you don't care. Because God cares. And, and you're not going to come to a point where you just divorce yourself from God and He'll just go, okay, whatever. If you're God's child, He cares. And you need to live righteously because He cares. And because He's going to be the final judge. Number two, we should fear God because God won't share His glory. Isaiah 42, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. You should be living righteously for God because He is God, and because He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. You should obediently follow Him, knowing that if you need to be exalted, if you need to be delivered, if you need anything, He'll take care of it. And He will not share His glory with you. Number three, we should fear God because perfect love casts out fear. I, I might have created a, a grammatical conundrum there, but sometimes people say, I don't want to fear God, I want to love God. Great, i got no problem with that. You know why? Because if you truly love God, you will obey Him just as much as if you fear Him. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. I think some people say they don't want to fear God because they really don't want to follow God. I want to have warm fuzzies for God. You know what? God's not looking for your warm fuzzies. I got news for you. He's looking for your heart devotion, which results in obedience. Obedience to believe and obedience to do. If you have perfect love, it will cast out fear. And, and in fact, I think that's what happens as we grow in the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't sit in fear of God except sometimes when I'm tempted to sin. And I think, boy, I don't want to get there. If we live in the love of God, we don't need to fear. Number four, we should fear God because we are dealing with Almighty God. <laughs> Even if you love God much, you should never stop respecting Him. You should never take Him for granted. We can call Him Daddy because we are so closely connected, but we should not take for granted His love and His patience with us. What we see here with Levi is he had a heart for God. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him so he would fear me, so he feared me. And he was reverent before my name. In the Old Testament, when they worshipped, they often would, would bow down. 
or sometimes the word prostrate, as in to lay flat on the floor with your hands out. In other words, your face is down, you're as low on the dirt as you can go in front of the one who is high. They would do that before earthly kings as well because kings exerted absolute authority. And they would come to God and say, You are God. We need to revere God. He's God. And it's got to start in our heart before it will get out to our hands. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Levi became a righteous acting man because he had a righteous heart of reverence for God. If you're having a hard time acting righteously, it could be because your heart is not right with God. It's heart first, hands second. Look at the actions of Levi out of his heart of reverence. Verse 6 says this, The law of truth was in his mouth. Levi spoke truth. The law, of course, is a reference to what we would call the the first five books of the Old Testament, which contain the law of God as he gave it to them. Then we see, injustice was not found on his lips. That is, he was a fair man. The word injustice, or the King James word iniquity, means an unfair decision. One of the things God is criticizing these current priests with in Malachi is this. He's saying, you show partiality in the law. In other words, maybe when your friend comes and offers a poor quality sacrifice, you say, oh, that doesn't matter, it's okay. But when somebody comes who you don't know or you don't like, you say, no, 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 you've got to go back and bring the right sacrifice. These priests were partial in the way that they carried out the law, but not Levi, not historically the tribe of Levi, were people of justice or fairness. And then we see that he was consistent. He walked with me in peace and equity. He was consistent in his walk with God. And then lastly, we find the impact of Levi. He turned many away from iniquity. Can you imagine anything that pleases God more? God is absolutely holy and righteous, and here we are sinful human beings. And we have the opportunity, once we come to faith in Christ and we're a new person, we have the opportunity to influence other people away from sin and toward the Lord. Can you imagine anything that pleases God more? And that's what he did. He made a positive impact on the people around him. Well, he goes right on into verse 7. He turns, he's got, this is a historical look in verses 5 and 6 when he says, look, this is Levi, this is my covenant with him, this is how it worked out. And in verse 7, he turns it just a little bit and he says, this is what should be happening with priests. I've called it the normal expectation for leadership. And the normal expectation for leadership is this, a godly person will be known by his godly communication. Look what he says here. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. 
and people should seek the law from his mouth. Turn with me to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, we have a, a very challenging teaching about teachers. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And he's talking about spiritual teachers here, not school teachers. Not, you know, not math and algebra or whatever, but the Bible. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why is that? That's because we are influencing people. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word or with his mouth, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Have you said anything embarrassing lately? Said anything stupid? I have. I, I can't remember what they were, but I said some stupid things when Kazia was here last week. They laughed at me, you know. Wouldn't you like for your mouth to always be perfect? Every word that comes out of your mouth is just incredible. He says, if that's possible, or maybe, maybe I'll put it this way, when that's possible, you will be able to bridle your whole body. If you can control your mouth, you can control anything. And I do want to say this. He is not saying here it's impossible. What he's saying is this is a tough go, even for a Christian. And so as Christians, it should be a goal and we should be moving toward it. But we realize it's hard. Now drop down to verse 13. Tonight we're going to look at this passage more at length when we consider the topic how to rein in, as in reining in the horse, how to rein in your mouth. In verse 13, though, he talks about this mouth problem when he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show his wisdom by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. A godly person will be known by his godly communication. And what we've seen right here, in fact, in verse 14, he says, he brings the heart into it. A truly godly person will speak in a godly way because their heart is full of God's truth so that when they open their mouth, God's word will come out. Remember the verses we read about your heart just a minute ago? Out of the heart we speak. If your words come out wrong, it is probably because your heart isn't right. Now, I understand some people have a hard time just communicating. Maybe there's a little educational disconnect between their brain and their mouth. I understand that. But those people just have a hard time speaking more than they say wrong or sinful things. 
That's a disconnect between the mouth and the heart. We have a sinful heart and things just burp out of us. Or we want to say things. If you are godly, godly things will come out. You must be constantly examining your beliefs and your thoughts so that your words are righteous. While Kazia was here last week, I took the opportunity to, to talk about some things that I had been thinking through. Some reflections on, on things we observed in our trip to Africa. Other things. Uh, if, for those of you who weren't here, Kazia is a, a black woman and a godly woman. Uh, comes from a godly family and she's well educated. And I just, I, I had certain ideas and thoughts I wanted to bounce off of her. And, and uh, she basically challenged some of my thinking. I've got, to, I've got to be constantly examining my thoughts and my beliefs because I know they aren't all godly. It can't be. It won't be until I'm in heaven. And so if, if I can get my thoughts and beliefs right, then what comes out of my mouth is going to be righter and righter and righter as the days go by. It's never going to be perfect, but it's going to get better and better and better. If as you influence people, you need to understand that the most critical part of your influence is going to be what's in your heart coming out through your mouth. And it should be God's truth. If you're giving advice that's not rooted in a principle of God, you're just giving your own advice. But if you can know God's Word, and if it can fill your heart and your mind, when people come, when your children come, uh, when, when your coworker comes and says, what about this, what about that? You stop and think, now what would God say? And you think, here's what God would say. And you share those words. That's when you are exerting godly leadership. That's what the tribe of Levi did historically. But now in the day of Malachi, they're not doing that. They're saying sinful things. They're saying human things. Friends, if you would call yourself godly, then the words coming out of your mouth should be God's words. Wow. And according to James, that's going to, that's going to be a lifelong endeavor for us. Secondly, a godly person, going back to Malachi, not only does a godly, is a godly person known by their communication, a godly person also understands his position. Look at verse 7 of Malachi again. He talks about his communication. Then he says, For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. When you get ready to speak, do you consciously think, I'm representing God? I'm about to cuss in God's place. I'm sure if God was here, he would just chew this guy out. Yesterday, I went to, off, uh, to Home Depot, got the last piece of siding for my shed. Kind of, I'm kind of goofy. I just bought a few pieces at a time, you know, and put it up when I had time. It's a shed. Who cares? So I went and got the last piece of siding. Now, I, I, got, a, I got a station wagon. I got a roof rack, and I tied, tied the stuff on there, okay? And I, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know how to tie it on so it won't fly off. I mean, I don't want to lose my 20 bucks, you know? Besides, the guy behind me might appreciate it. So I tie it on. And I take the back way home. I don't get on the freeway with a piece of 
three-eighths plywood tied on my roof. You know, I'm not stupid, you know. So I'm going 35 miles an hour down the road. And it's a 45-mile-an-hour road, so I'm going, yeah, come on. I pull over, come on around, you know. I'm being a good citizen. And this one guy, he won't pass me. Then pretty soon it gets to a more open spot, and he passes me, stops his truck, gets out and comes back and chews me out because I don't have that piece of plywood tied down right and that's going to fly off and kill somebody. Don't you watch the news? As I drove away, I thought, you know, buddy, you're lucky I'm a peaceful guy. Otherwise, you might have been the one on the news. Really, if you'd have stopped somebody else... What's in your heart comes out. And if, what, if you want what comes out to be godly, you have to be aware, I am the representative of God. Hey, I was thinking about that while this guy's standing. I'm thinking, you know, well, let's see. I, maybe I'll get him arrested. You know, maybe I'll chew him. I mean, I was, of course, I was mostly just trying to make sure he wouldn't punch my lights out. You know, wow. <laughs> Folks, if you're a Christian, you stand in the place of God on this earth. Jesus came here once. He was here for 33 years. He's not coming again until it's over. And when he comes, he will stand here the rest of the time. But until then, you're the one standing in his place. And everybody in your life who knows you are a Christian knows that you are standing in his place, whether That's why when you mess up, they will let you know. And they really want to see you mess up so that somehow they can be justified in their sin. You are standing in the place of God. When I was a chaplain for the, the fire department in Tukwila, I, I became involved in a, in a disaster team. We went to various disasters uh, with the federal government. It was a medical team, and my designation was chaplain. And one time we were sitting around waiting to get deployed down in California and they were having this humorous conversation and being the bright guy that I am, I made a very funny remark. Everybody laughed, but one person didn't think it was that funny. And she told another person who happened to be a Christian, you know, he's the pastor, he shouldn't be saying stuff like that. And this Christian was enough of a man to come and say, hey, you know what happened here? You know what? It's not my job to be funny. It, it's my job to stand in the place of God. And it's your job. And if you would remember that, it will help you to control your mouth. Because what comes out needs to be God's truth. If it's anything less, you're wasting your breath and their breath and their listening. It needs to be God's truth and the truth and the, the application of God's truth in your life. Well, let's as we go in Malachi, he says, "Look, this is what should be happening with the priests." Now let's look at what is happening. Look at the analysis there in verse eight. He analyzes the current situation. He says, "But you," he says, "This is what should be happening, but you." You have departed from the way. First thing that happened was they quit walking in God's way. What would you think of a pastor who lives in sin but still gets up to preach? 
You'd say, well, that's not right. And you'd be correct. What would you think of a Christian who lives in sin and still gives people advice about their life? Oh, well, that's different. No, it's not. We're all in this together. They quit walking in God's way, which essentially disqualified them to be priests. We are all preachers. Some of us get up here on Sunday and some of us don't, but we are all speaking on God's behalf. Secondly, they caused people to live in sin. Look at verse 8 again. You have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. The very people who were supposed to be reading and teaching the law and encouraging people to follow the law, they caused people to become uh, unhappy and upset with the law in part because of the way these priests were living. They caused people to live in sin. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 15. The Pharisees were really the descendants of these priests, these unrighteous priests. For you travel land and sea to win one convert, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Ouch. One author put it this way about that Matthew passage. Jesus called the Pharisees toxic, spiritually toxic. So these, these priests here in Malachi, they, they caused May to stumble at the law. And then the third thing is they corrupted the covenant of Levi. In the beginning, God made wonderful promises to Levi and the other priests. And they followed and there was a wonderful worship between God and man. But now these men made the priesthood stink. They corrupted it. The word corruption in the Bible uh, would most closely relate to our concept of something that rots, something that deteriorates. You know, if you leave certain foodstuffs, you, you know, if you leave a piece of meat sitting out, out of the refrigerator, it's, it's going to take on a life of its own before long. That's the concept of corruption. He says, you have made the priesthood corrupt or decayed or rotten. And so what does God say to them? Therefore, verse 9, the judgment on the current leadership. Therefore, I have made you contemptible and base before all the people. I've made you contemptible and base before all the people. A number of years ago, probably you know, 10, 12 years ago, maybe longer than that now, we had several big scandals in Christianity in a row. We had Jim Baker, and then we had Jimmy Swaggart. And then there were some exposés on some of the uh, some of the other televangelists. We found out about what they were doing with with their money, and you know, one guy who claimed to be a prophet and know he would know what your illness was, and he'd come and say, "Well, you've got a bad stomach, and God's going to heal you." And go, "Wow, you know what's going on?" Turns out he had a little hearing aid, and his wife was broadcasting information she gathered from the people before church, you know, and just a phony. We had a bunch of stuff like that. And when a guy like Jim Baker goes to jail or Jimmy Swaggart gets found out to be cavorting with prostitutes or whatever, the whole of Christianity is diminished in people's eyes. I mean, you, you think you think about this. You know, Jimmy, Jim Baker has just been you know, arrested, whatever, and, and I'm going to tell people I'm a pastor. Do you know they did surveys in those times about uh, credibility and that type of thing? And pastors used to be high on the credibility list. 
And, and at that time, they went down into the neighborhood of used car salesmen and lawyers. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. Really. But when a, when a Jimmy Baker or a, a Jim Baker or Jimmy Swaggart or, or when a pastor in Whatcom County or when any old Christian does some public sin, we all become contemptible and base in front of the people. Folks, one of the reasons you need to live righteously is because of me and her and him. Your sin or righteousness reflects on us. And my sin and righteousness reflects on you. What if I'd have got out in that truck yesterday and reamed that guy out or cussed him out or beat him up? And today he woke up and says, Hey, dear, I've been thinking about going to that Baptist church down there in Ferndale. <laughs> hey, the same thing is true with you when you go to the grocery store or the hairdresser or wherever you're going. You are standing in God's place. And if you live righteously, Christ is exalted. If you live sinfully, you gain a bad reputation and Christ and the church gains a bad reputation. I had a teacher in college who graded on the contract system. That is, at the beginning of, of the term, teacher said, do you want an A, B, or a C? Couldn't choose to get a D. You know, it was A, B, or C. It was a theology class, so theoretically, you should be wanting to do good. And you could contract. And, uh, you know, being a safe person, I contracted for a B. I thought, you know, I don't know about this A business. We'll, we'll have to see. And so when you turn your work in, if it was... If you said, I want an A, they'd look at your work, and if it wasn't A work, they'd hand it back and say, well, you need to fix this and fix that, or you need to do some more here on a test. If you, if you didn't get the A on the test, he'd say, well, if you want to get the A for your contract, you're going to need to write a paper on this certain topic that you were weak in. And so it was, you know, there's no excuse for not getting whatever grade you were contracted for. It was a very, you know, he was concerned that we learn, not just that we perform on the test. So... It was, a great, uh, it was a great system. Failure was only possible for those who refused to work, to try. You couldn't just say, well, I had a bad day and failed the test. Well, you can fix that test up. Friend, God wants you to get an A. God wants you to be the kind of priest that he talked about historically. The kind that has a good influence on people. And it's possible for us in Christ. It's possible if we will let Him help us through His Word and prayer. It's possible if we will let Him help us by being humble before Him. I want to encourage you today to, to strive for an A in your life with the Lord because you are influencing other people and they need that godly influence. As you would try to apply the sermon this week, I put a couple of notes at the bottom of the sermon notes. I'd, I'd encourage you to read the book of Malachi and ask God to show you how to be a better example as a Christian. Meditate on Malachi 2.7, which says, The lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It ought to be a goal in your life to be so godly in your communication that people seek out your wisdom. 
Not to be prideful, but to say, I want to help the people around me. And then ask God to show you, to, to, to help you hear yourself talk. Ask God to help you hear yourself and start checking your communication for truth. Heavenly Father, you've called us with a high and holy calling. Sometimes it scares us, it's so high. Help us to strive to get an A in your school of leadership. Help us to lead those around us well. Father, as we, as we commit our way to you and as we make the hard decisions for righteousness, give us your fruit around us that we might be encouraged to keep on. I pray in Christ's name, amen.